Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Canter Podcast. Simon Shawcross, the founder and director of HIT Uni, that's H-I-T, Uni as in university, uh, joins us today. If you want to learn more about Simon and all the awesome stuff that they're doing over at HIT Uni, uh, check out our first episode. That was episode 98, and you can kind of learn more about him and what they have going on. Um, I'm really excited to have Simon back on because he has a very sensible approach to strength training, exercise, uh, as it is to the, the individual. So one thing that I really wanted to touch on, and I kind of I shot him a Facebook message this morning to get his thoughts, was this idea of exercise selection and using a very sensible approach, not only for the sake of um, the exercise itself, but for the safety and the effectiveness for the client. So uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit, and hopefully that helps you refine some of your workouts if you're a coach or if you are a, a person training by yourself. Maybe you can make a better choice for yourself when it comes to exercise selection. So uh, without further ado, Simon, welcome back to the show, man. I appreciate it. Hey, Eric. Great to be back. All right. This is a good deal. This is going to be fun. Because the last time we had uh, a conversation, it was like off to the races right away. So this is going to be a good one. <laughs> um, so... So, okay, let's talk more about exercise selection in terms of um, movements first that people should focus on. Uh, and okay. when, so I'll, I guess I'll start. When I think of that, I, I think of um, obviously large muscle groups in terms of, of, of the most calorie burn um, of targeting other muscle groups along with it. Like, for instance... If you're doing a chest press, doesn't matter if it's a seated chest press, barbell, dumbbell, we can get into modality also later, but effectively training the chest, you're also getting shoulder work, a little bit of triceps, um, and you're increasing your heart rate. So if I'm training someone for 30 minutes, I will pick six to maybe 12 exercises of large muscle groups. And I have that variety because sometimes I'll do one set, sometimes I'll do multiple sets for variety, again. Um, so I think it's, it's easy to say, I'm gonna focus on large muscle groups, um, and then you throw in the mix of compound movements. And when I've talked to other trainers and when other trainers tell me, yeah, I have my clients do compound movements and they explain what a compound movement is to them. I get kind of confused because I don't see the idea of a squat combined with a dumbbell overhead press as necessarily a compound movement compared to maybe just a, a regular barbell or dumbbell squat where you're right. using two large, uh, two large muscle groups along with muscle joints, uh, excuse me, along with uh, skeletal joints. Um, does that, does that make sense? It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, to me, yeah. a compound or multi-joint movement is about um, targeting yeah. um, 
a prime mover first and yes. foremost. So, exactly. And uh, that main muscle group that you're looking to have uh, the key stimulus on during that exercise. And then there will be smaller muscle groups that come along for the ride and get a degree of stimulus too. Right. But I wouldn't be looking, I wouldn't be looking to combine um, working the hips maximally with working the chest maximally at the same time. Right. Or, or the, or the shoulders is exactly right. So my idea of setting up this 30 minute workout or, or an hour workout, whichever one it is, it would be, if it was a 30 minute workout, I would mostly focus on the large muscle groups, the prime movers. Um, yeah. and then, then I would, if it was an hour workout, I would scale down and I would even go back and maybe hit like a larger muscle group at the very end, like the hips or in with like a bicep tricep, maybe some abs. Sometimes I would finish with low back, uh, or I would even start with low back at the, the beginning of the workout. So it's not as fatigued as, as you go on. But um, so, so what are your thoughts in terms of exercise selection and placement sure. in the workout? Sure. My, well, my absolute foundation would be what I would call or what is, is known as the big three, which mm -hmm. um, would be if you're using machines, the pull down, the chest press and the leg press. Or if you're using uh, free weights uh, slash uh, body weight would be the squat, the bench press, and the chin-up. And I think those are absolutely foundational exercises that nearly every single routine that I would write are going to have those exercises in. Then if you expand a little bit beyond that, I would go to what we could call a big five or even a big six, which would add in uh, a compound row if it were a machine or a bent over row if we're talking free weights and a shoulder press uh, machine or pressing overhead with dumbbells um, alternatively. Uh, and then on top of that, I, I you know, would potentially talk about a deadlift as well if it's appropriate for the particular individual that I'm working with. Right. Now, those three to six exercises that I just mentioned, I think are the mainstay, uh, the core of any routine that is uh, uh, appropriate for the vast majority of people, unless an individual has a particular rehab issue or has uh, a functional issue that means they are unable to perform one or more of those exercises. Outside of that, that's my starting point for pretty much every routine that I'm going to write. And it, as you mentioned at the start, Eric, it's getting to those big muscle groups first mm -hmm. and foremost. It's working the most amount of musculature. These are the uh, exercises that you are going to get the most return for your, your time spent, your, your energy invested in the workout. These are the exercises that are going to provide you with the most uh, stimulus when performed properly. And it's only after that has been covered that I would begin to look at um, single joint exercises um, in addition to those multi-joint exercises. And, you, and you, again, something that you mentioned straight off, I mean, one of the key things that I have um, is to remember the lumbar, thoracic and cervical spine mm -hmm. um, for individuals. So we're talking about uh, a lumbar extension or a deadlift. Um, or, um, and then moving up the spine, you know, the neck is important as well. It's right. often overlooked, but 
um, rotation, flexion, lateral flexion, extension, um, all valuable exercises, if, if not in the program all the time, certainly to cycle in and out of a routine. Right. Exactly. So, okay, let, let's, let's uh, stay with that, that motion, that, that uh, idea of large muscle groups and single joint movements, because uh, the, the whole area of the quad is a very large muscle group, which obviously can be worked on like a leg extension machine. So if you're taking out, would you, would you add in a leg extension as a part of just like an overall well-rounded program? Or would you yeah. still stick to something more uh, complex like, like a squat or I don't know how often you get to do like single leg squats or, or something like that, but where would you yeah. place that? Yeah, I, I, I would. Um, uh, why would I, or a reason that I might choose specifically to, to use a, a good quality leg extension machine and, I, and, and good quality is important because if there isn't that drop off in load, close to full extension at the top of a movement, you can cause more damage to the knee with a leg extension than, than right. benefit. So let's assume we're talking about on a, on a good quality uh, knee extension machine. Um, the reason I might choose to use that is for rehabilitation purposes or for somebody who is um, perhaps more frail, a, a senior citizen, um, or somebody who is less coordinated um, in movement so they're going they are for sure going to get more out of an of any extent a good knee extension than for example like a lunge right. um, which is going to be more challenging to perform right. from a neuromuscular skill perspective um, and in fact any in terms of inroading the quadriceps fatiguing the quadriceps anybody's going to find um, a knee extension easier to do that with than any other free weight um, yep. exercise. Um, but I, I would use, um, both, uh, for an individual who can cope with that, right. not necessarily the same routine, but I would see a value of having, um, for example, a using, for example, a lunge and a value in using a knee extension. Right. So do you, um, how, how often do you, all right, well, let me scale back. So my mind's going a thousand different places. Um, so if I'm, if I'm writing, uh, if I have workouts in mind and I keep kind of throw workouts uh, on my iPad, I usually cycle through three, maybe three to five workouts per, uh, per client that I'm working with. Yeah. Some, obviously this, this is a blanket statement. Everybody's different. So there are going to be some variation, but for the most part, everybody has some kind of, uh, some kind of horizontal press, a horizontal yeah. pull, vertical press, vert vertical pull, some kind of uh, hip hinge and a squat variation. Uh, whether it's e whether you know if they're if they're a senior citizen, just teaching them the movement, or even um, having like in, having them in a quadruped style and having them rock back and forth just to get the hip into that motion. Um, and and then I do like to do. Uh, lateral raises also i know it's a single joint you can get a lot of bang for your buck just by doing an overhead press um and in a, in a vertical pull down but changing the variety of exercises in terms of the modality that you use so one workout may be 90 percent um machine based that's my workout a let's say workout yeah. b if they come in on uh, a wednesday a couple days after their first workout 
it might be 90% dumbbell. The next time I might throw in 50%, their workout C might be 50% um, machine, 50% body weight, right? Yeah. So let's just say those are my big three exercises. I would still keep the exact same philosophy through every single one of those as opposed to even if it's a 30 minute or a 60 minute workout, as opposed to say, okay, now we're going to change it up. And now we're going to do, um, and I'm not 100% opposed to these exercises. I, I should say that right off the bat, but I don't think they're as effective for people as everybody makes them out to be like a squat and press or like a, a, a lunge and row, a lunge and press. Um, so I want yeah, to get to your you, thought. And a, something that those exercises potentially can do is, you know, they can be very metabolically stimulating because you're using the whole body in one. Mm -hmm. But then I, I bring it back to what what's your key purpose here? Uh, because in doing that, you're upping the risk factor, you're upping the skill factor, and you're definitely reducing the ability to successfully target the prime mover effectively mm -hmm. you're making right. that stimulus more of a challenge so i would question i mean yeah uh, again something you mentioned at the start that does make it, it it can feel more challenging but at the end of the day is it doing anything of benefit for us right so you mentioned something before we hopped on about the neuro the neurological factor the neurological stimulation uh, yeah. Can you go can you, and, and into those direct exercises versus something like just a regular overhead press, for instance? So can you go a little deeper into that? So you, you've anytime you learn any exercise, you're going to have to uh, to to develop and build up the skills to perform that exercise effectively. Um, if you take at one end of the spectrum, and I'll step outside the weight room for a moment, take the tennis serve. That's a very complex movement, um, sporting movement to refine. Um, at the other end of that spectrum, I would say there's something like a machine um, chest press, mm -hmm. so which is about as easy a movement yep. to learn as possible, requiring the least amount of skill, balance, coordination and so on and so you've got that broad spectrum between a very complex sporting movement and then a controlled um, uh, biomechanically correct machine exercise designed to target primarily the pecs right. somewhere in between on that scale would be something like a hand clap push-up where okay. there's a degree of skill um, that's f uh, far less than a tennis serve and far more than that um, chest press movement. So which is going to be easiest to learn, the chest press? Which is going to allow you to recruit and fatigue the muscles of um, the pecs most effectively and efficiently, without a doubt, the machine chest press? Right. Um, and it's going to be the quick... So if you've got a new client uh, and you have the ability to teach them on machines to start off with, the machine is going to get them to uh, recruit and fatigue their muscle tissue more quickly than any other approach, more quickly than a free weight or a body weight exercise, where you will still be accumulating skills um, sessions later to perform the movement effectively. Um, whereas on the machine, you've, uh, you've 
picked up that skill very quickly, or as quickly as it's possible to, and you're able to now uh, fatigue, recruit, cause micro tra trauma to, to the muscle tissue. Um, so you have this sort of continuum um, of, of exercise. And the further away you get from that side of the chest press machine, the more challenging it is to effectively fatigue and cause microtrauma to the muscle tissue. Now, if I was working with uh, an infirm senior citizen, I would definitely want them on the machine. If yeah. I'm working with a 20-something athlete, now, um, that isn't as much of a concern, and I, I might um, gladly have them doing um, the free weight stuff. Yeah. But I wouldn't have somebody doing a hand clap push-up um, if my goal is to uh, fatigue and recruit the tissue. That, that's a cool thing to look at. It looks impressive, somebody right. doing a, you know, a, 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 an impressive set of hand clap push-ups, but they're not as efficient at uh, recruiting and fatiguing the tissue. And I think my key point is uh, the more, um, or a key point is, is the more infirm or less skilled or, or, or less skill capability, innate skill capability an individual has, the more important it is to make exercise as easy as possible right. to perform for them. Yeah. Um, and then you can step away from that to a degree um, without losing too much efficiency, right. um, depending on the skill set, the innate skill set, genetically speaking, of the individual and, and how they are able to learn to perform more complex movements. But when you start stepping away, and from a complex movement, I mean a free weight exercise, for example, like a squat or, or an overhead press uh, or a bent over row. Um, you see, with a bent over row is a good example because then you have the challenge of stabilizing yeah, it's very the difficult. body as well as performing the movement. So if you've got a chest supported compound row machine, you can focus on um, your, your, your traps and rhomboids really, really effectively. Yep. The moment you step into a, a bent over barbell version, well, you also have to provide that stabilization as well as the skill of a movement, which is increasing the challenge more. Now, yep. uh, if we go back to our senior citizen, um, who's not super fit, they're gonna find that ridiculously challenging to recruit and fatigue the traps and rhomboids right whereas a, a strong fit and healthy athlete is going to be much more capable of doing that with the bent over row right. so again it's horses for courses it's it's the individual that you're working with in front of you but i wouldn't make personally i wouldn't make that step over to attempting to do uh, a lunge and press at the same time i think you're just devaluing you're increasing the skill factor massively you've now got two prime movers as opposed to one and you're right. trying to well, which one are you trying to fatigue um yeah which Maximize. one are you trying to because the stimulus in it, it's much more challenging. And, and sometimes you'll hear a, like a reason that some, some coaches would say for doing this is that they're more athletic movements. Well, again, I would have an athlete performing the movements of their sport for the athleticism, for the right. skill development for their sport, not that uh, lunge and press you know, depending on what their sport is, if they're a wrestler, I have them wrestling. 
uh, and pr pr practicing refining the skills to wrestle well, not yeah. trying to create more in inverted commas athletic movements in in the strength and conditioning gym. Yeah. So there's okay. There's a lot. There's a lot there. So I'm not. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. Um, so if we so if we scale back, you mentioned, which is very important, I think the the degree of difficulty on the chest press machine. We'll just stick with something easy, versus going to just a regular. Let's just say a a, uh, a flat dumbbell chest press. So if yeah. we stick if we stick to just doesn't even have to be someone who is an elderly person, but a novice strength trainer. Yeah. The degree of difficulty um, from learning the seated chest press, because there's a few coaching cues there on how, how your posture should be, um, stressing how it's really not that important if your feet are on the ground because you're targeting the, the, the chest. But if they are on the ground, right placement should be pushing through the, their feet. No, try not to. Don't tuck your chin. Uh, depending on the type of machine you're using, you know, do you have your hands high or the inside, how far away are your elbows from your side, those kind of things. Breathing comes into play. Okay, so you got that nailed down. How long would you keep somebody on a machine in terms of like the length of their, um, you know, they, would it be like one month or three months before you got the opportunity or you even wanted to try uh, using a dumbbell chest press? Because then, I mean, their entire setup changes. Um, yeah, and, the, and the, skill, the skill changes, you know, the machine exercise is not directly transfer, the skills acquired exactly. in machine exercise is not directly transferable even to the dumbbell chest press, exactly. um, which, which is a very similar movement, but there are subtleties in, in, in difference in the movement that mean that you are going to be learning and acquiring a whole skill set. Um, right. so, so one thing I would say is people often rush to, to create variety in routine. And I certainly wouldn't be in a, in a rush to create variety in routines. Um, so I will usually stick with somebody performing um, the same exercises at the start of their training career, uh, at the start of proper strength training for, for somewhere between, um, let's say, 14 and 20 weeks. Okay. Um, to really, because not only are you acquiring the skill of the movement, I'm also um, a proponent of going uh, to momentary muscular failure in exercises or, or really close in proximity to that. That in itself is also a skill, but separate from the movement skill, that ability yep. to go through the sensations that uh, accumulate as you're working towards fatigue and to remain calm and to remain um, uh, performing the exercise well, breathing properly and so on. Are, are, yep all factors um that that add up and so i think it's a mistake to change routines with newcomers too often um and again on, with individuals they are on a spectrum so you have people whose um neuromuscular ability that, that, that ability to coordinate uh inter and intra muscular coordination is very strong is very good so it takes them a few sessions and you're like wow they 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 picked up that exercise right and are using it effectively so quickly at the complete other end of the spectrum you can have somebody for months who doesn't look as good as that person yeah. did in two or three sessions 
and that that can come back to things you know we talk about how almost in inverted commas naturally athletic a person is the, the innate genetic skill sets that they have available to them yeah. um so on, on somebody at that end of the spec on that end of the spectrum that struggles with uh coordination i would potentially keep them on the machines ad infinitum um and or for for a very long period of time until they they really are able to tap into and access their muscle tissue uh, and to develop a, a relationship with their muscle tissue they tend to be individuals who who are quite unaware of their bodies or, or or unaware of how to feel the contraction as they're creating movement so i'd have right. them focus on well how does the pec uh the front of the shoulder and the triceps feel as you're right. creating that movement let's really bring it back to basics so some you can take somebody who is really lacking in that skill and begin to get them to have a relationship with with their muscles and their body that they haven't previously been able to have at yeah. the other end of the spectrum somebody who's very naturally talented in that regard who's gifted in that regard i would i would still probably have them on a routine um for, for sort of 10 to 12 weeks so that they're they're not chopping and changing things the whole time they are able to focus on really um getting the most out of an exercise and like you mentioned with with people like that i would often have them on alternating routines or yep. uh, of two or three four sometimes even five routines that that um so we cycle through so there's an a b c d back to a b c d exactly. and that cycle will go around and so long as you know they, they come to the gym fairly regularly um they are going to retain the skills in those exercises even if that exercise doesn't come around for for almost two weeks yeah um so they would be they would be the kind of person who would do really well with with lots of different exercises and uh you know a relatively high number of routines uh yeah. being cycled at the same time that first person i was talking about who lacks those innate skills i'm going to keep them on one routine for much longer periods of time and even and, and if i look to hop them over to two routines uh concurrently and their um, ability in, in the exercises uh, to perform the exercises well appears to take a back step i will revert back to one routine mm -hmm. and then i'll just cycle exercises in and out of one routine for them over time uh giving them plenty of time to get good at the exercise to get to get to that point which is really juicy when when you're getting the most out of an exercise where you you're not having to think every microsecond about the micro detail of the exercise right. you're able to focus on the contraction and you 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 your body inherently knows the movement. Yep. Yeah. With, with very little coaching, you automatically get it. Um, yeah. One thing, and I, I tell me what you think about this. One thing that I like to do if I'm transitioning somebody from, let's say that seated chest press to a, to a dumbbell chest press, before they even touch the dumbbells, I would even start them for a few sessions just doing some manual resistance. Um, I think manual resistance is a, is a, a way overlooked I think so too. Um, form of resistance training. It, if the person who's applying it understands how to do that well and understands the biomechanics and uh, uh, and understands that it's not a it's not a tug of war. You're not in a battle. Exactly. With the 
You know, it's yeah. not you're not trying to show off how much stronger or not you are than them. It's you're looking to apply a resistance to help them fatigue their muscle right. group. Right. It, yeah. It's it's a really great way of exercising. I mean, it's it's fatiguing to the trainer if you, if you're Very doing much. multiple uh, <laughs> manual resistance workouts all the time. But uh, it's a great. It, it can be a great form of exercise. Uh, yeah. So absolutely. Again, I think the skill is different again. So when they do yep. transition onto uh, dumbbells, it's going to be a slightly different skill again. But if you're doing, say, a manually resisted chest press, they are going to have that. Um, there's now not a, a, a completely set path for the movement arm of the machine, right. which is completely set. Now you've got some play as well, some stabilization required. Um, so, you know, in terms of acquiring that skill, it is moving more towards what will be required of them mm -hmm. when they yep, move on. Exactly. That's, ex that's ex exactly right. And I even, um, mostly for like the, the elderly population that I work with, and even once they, once they start to progress in that, that fashion, um, I know we're, I know we're talking a lot about the, the chest press, but it's just a very easy thing to, to describe, yeah. but it can, it can be applied to everything. Right. Yeah. But what, what I even like to do is once they become more, once they become very, very efficient at the seated chest press and they really understand how, how deep to go, when to pause, um, in each direction and they get the whole gamut of that, of that particular exercise before I, before I would even, um, maybe introduce them to dumbbells. Like I said, we'd go to manual, manual resistance, or I would even have them just do the chest press standing with a resistance band and because right. that gives a little play also and i would even come back to so let's say i do a, a seated chest press and then we go to a row that they're very familiar with like uh, a seated chest uh, a seated uh, row with a pad right in front of your chest so they understand that instead of going right back for doing multiple sets instead of going right back to the seated chest press i'm going to switch it up we're going to take this resistance band just so they can feel the difference because just mm. feeling the difference of the play in the band and they have to stabilize in different areas. Maybe their hands are going a little higher. It gives them something else to think about. And we might just play with those two exercises for, uh, you know, several weeks before moving on to something else, right. Right. Um, which is, which is something to think about. I think for individuals training also not jumping right into only doing, um, let's say like a barbell bench press for someone who is, who's a very advanced uh, person instead of sticking with that one exercise for a very long time, but having the variance of uh, using some body weight instead of uh, it obviously depends on the person's goal, but just for general health and fitness yeah, and, and longevity of training, the, the variety I think is more about obviously like breaking up the, the mental capacity of like, ah, oh, it's a new barbell bench press again. It's exciting yeah. at first, then after a while it can be very taxing, but, but try to focus on being very, very good at something and then maybe trying to progress yourself in a different motion and a different movement pattern rather than just increasing the weight. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I, I think there's validity to, to both. Definitely. Um, uh, and it's getting that balance. If you move <clears throat> too much, away from um, something where a person is able to uh, recruit and fatigue the tissue well, then you're, you're going to lower the stimulus 
at least for a period of time. However, you're, you're creating a slightly different movement and asking them to master that movement and become good at recruiting the, the, the muscles in, engaged involved in that exercise. So you're creating a new movement pattern to a degree. And I think that that's a good thing. And it's getting that balance. It's not chopping and changing too much. Right. Um, but it's, uh, you see, for, for me, if we're just talking about, even just talking about machines, there are about 25 movements or so on machines that I think are really valuable um, over the long term. If you were to add in free weight and body weight and manual resistance, you, you can see we're talking, you know, up to and slightly beyond probably hundreds of oh, yeah. useful variants of exercises and yeah. movement patterns. Um, so that there's never a shortage of um, movements that can be valuable. It's just, it's like how long, um, what's your purpose in changing? Um, uh, why are you, you know, what's your purpose in bringing a new exercise in? You know, that, that's the, the thought process I'm really interested in. Um, when when people make those changes, is it because they're concerned that the client is just getting bored? Um, is it because there's a physiologic need? Is there an injury that needs to be worked around or rehabbed? Uh, yeah. Is it is it because you want to um, um, create a slightly different overall stimulus? Um, so there, I think there are loads of valid reasons and and. The one reason that I, I think is the least valid is just change for the sake of change. Yeah, I it's think like, so too. What's the thought process behind it? And and if that can be explained um, well, then I think there, there's lots of value to variety and exercise. So long as it's not so great that a person's almost always in a state of having to relearn or learn the skill of the right. movement. Um, which means yeah. that, that that they're not likely to be as effective in in, in targeting um, stimulating and fatiguing the, uh, the tissue. But I I love learning movements and, yeah. and being able to express those physically well. And there's plenty of space for for a very reasonable variety especially over the course of a, a training career and, and and even over a train training year yeah um, lots of space and time to to um, to coach teach and uh include more exercises you brought up a really good point so i think as coaches and trainers we get sucked into this idea of the people that we work with won't find us valuable yeah. Unless we bring something else to the table, which, yeah. which the, I mean, I'm probably have to sit on this and think about it for a while. But when I think about it just now, we're not doing our clients and the people we work with any justice. If we just throw in things for the sake of it, because we know that the person that we're working with just likes to see new things, but can, because then we start to create that expectation of, um, new is, is the best way to go. New is yeah. what makes progress, which when in reality, um, <laughs> for instance, I, the other day, um, I was training someone and well, every day I train someone, but 
Schrodinger's in, in particular individual, and we're doing a, an inverted row on uh, the Smith machine, right? Yeah. So I have them pull all the way up, pause, contract, nice and slow, all the way down, get a good pause. A couple days later, they come in. The row that I chose for that day is that same, that same exercise. He's like, really? So we're now doing the same workouts? And I'm like, this is like the trap yeah. that, that some trainers fall in. And so I explained to him, I said, look, if, no matter if we do this row, because this is a, a pretty advanced tra uh, trainee, okay? And I, I know I can get a lot out of him. If we do this row here versus on that machine, we're still working this muscle group, right? Yeah. It's unfortunate we can't get to that machine right now because that's what I wanted it to do, but it's taken, so we're doing this instead. And it's that idea of saying just because we, we've done this twice in a row, we're not doing something new and flashy, it doesn't mean that what we're doing isn't effective. Com completely. And I, I, I think what you've just touched on then is uh, almost an innate weakness of the fitness industry as a whole, as a macrocosm. Um, yeah. in this, if you look at uh, the fitness industry, there's always this need, um, perceived need to be creating and selling something new, something revolutionary, something yeah. people haven't seen before or done before to re-engage those who've come into exercise and dropped out of exercise or who are sort of looking for the next, in inverted commas, best thing. Um, and it's sort of like a cycle or a trap that um, kind of partially marketing has us caught, fitness marketing has us caught up in. And partly it's, it's, it's to attract people who've not succeeded successfully in integrating fitness into their lifestyle in the long term. So they've been attracted to fads, done it for a, for a few weeks, even a few months, maybe even a year, then dropped back out of that, that pattern again. Yeah. Um, and so there's this, this newness is perceived as something valuable. It's something uh, in, in people's minds, it can even be like this time, this, this new thing, this, this is the thing that's going to work for me. Right. Um, and, and even in a workout by workout thing, when there's change in the workout and people are attracted to that, it's because they think it's going to provide something that, that wasn't being provided before. And the exercises are right. And the structure of a programming is right. It is done well. And um, you're taking into account lifestyle factors and recovery and, and, and looking after the client as a whole. This is pretty, in many ways, basic solid stuff that works um and there isn't this need for for newness and sometimes uh the, the desire for newness gets in the way of a routine being as productive as it can be yeah because wow. you're changing stuff up before it needs to be uh, or before there's any any need for it to be changed and the person isn't getting as good as they can do at recruiting the muscle tissue and what i like to do um one of the things i like to do is to get people to really focus on the culmination of an exercise the culmination of a set what is that sensation like master becoming really good at, at, at tiring your muscle tissue um your targeted muscle tissue on an exercise in as calm a manner as you can so you're like laser focused on achieving um, 
a deep degree of fatigue at the end of an exercise. Um, and that is, the, is the, the game I like to play in my mind when I'm performing exercises is how good can I get at using that muscle, those muscles in coordination to create fatigue in an area of my body or my client's yeah. body. Um, not goodness, I've got to stress myself out to write something new every single time to keep so-and-so engaged. And I think sometimes we need, as trainers, we need to take a step back and learn to be able to address with the client the reasoning behind their programming and changes in their programming or lack of changes in their programming when that's appropriate too. And, and not to feel like you always have to be providing something new. Yeah. Now to take the other, to, to just step across to the other side a little bit. Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> so psychologically, of course, there's a value in keeping yeah. some things fresh. And if that's the only reason for changing a routine, I would say sometimes it's valuable to do that. But it's sort of the last rung on the ladder. It's like, have I genuinely exhausted motivating and encouraging that client to get everything out of this before I need to yeah. restructure for them? Yeah, that's powerful. Um, I, I think, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think what you said yeah. about the desire gets in the way of the effectiveness goes both ways. Can you explain, explain that to me? Just the, the fact like on either side, if you are, if you are uh, changing exercises just out of sure, uh, sheer boredom or, or the fear of your client being bored, yes. uh, that's a disservice. If, yes. you're, if you're doing it uh, too frequently because you want to do it, you might be doing them a disservice. I think, bo I think, right. I think going both ways there um, again, we're on a slippery slope because as important as, uh, you know, that what the term that comes to mind when people talk about, uh, and people say to me all the time, like, what about muscle confusion? I'm like, well, muscle confusion is bullshit. Yeah. But, but the, uh, the idea of changing your stimulus is, is where we should be focused. So I, I think like from the trainer side, if you focus on not necessarily making it more, um, flashy and new for the client, but you focus on changing, changing the stimulus to still get the desired result. That's where we should be focused, not on necessarily what's flashy and new for them because we're afraid we're going to lose them after, you know, six workouts because then there's a different issue. And, and sometimes it can be as simple as, as changing their mindset and edu and, edu and just standing up and educating the client. Yeah. Um, you're the professional. They don't, know necessarily what's best for them right um, you're the professional you're the individual who studied exercise and understands the physiology behind exercise now i'm not talking about if a client says oh i've injured my arm it doesn't you know it doesn't feel totally right different. of right. course they know their body better in those circumstances sure. but i mean in, in the physiological processes of of the application of exercise and sometimes it just might mean re-educating the client reminding them the reasons that this program is as it is um and and talking to them and 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 like i said look i'm i am a fan of variety i think there are loads of valuable movement patterns um the more advanced an individual is and the more capable of an individual is 
the more variety and routines there's going to be. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a little bit like, uh, you know, somebody who is uh, a yellow belt martial artist wanting to do black belt techniques. <laughs> it's like, unless you've acquired the skill, you're just going to make a mess of those techniques. They're not going to help. <laughs> right. So let's focus on the basics first. And then when we've got you to that place, that variety can come into play. Yeah. But yeah, it is this innate, innate human thing to look at somebody who's very good at something and go, oh, they must have the secret. I want to be doing what they're doing. Yep. You yeah. need to temper it. People who, who get to that black belt level have put the work in. People yep. who are doing four or five routines rotating with, you know, eight, nine different exercises each routine have earned the ability to do that and have that variety. That's a really good point. Because I think that, I think it is important. Like the, I, and I can... I could list out the people that are more skilled, you know, might have that workouts A through, you know, B, C, D. Yeah, they have four or five, six different workouts. The ones who, who need a little more, um, especially the ones I, I noticed that it, it's, it's a constant reminder because as soon as they leave the gym, they forget about it. It's not a major part of their day. Yeah. Uh, they don't yeah. care as much. So when they walk back in, they don't even remember the last workout we did, which to tell you the truth, I love, I'm like, that is like a blank slate every time is so ideal because then it's like, good. Now we can focus on what you really need to, uh, really need to focus on, really need to, like you said, be laser focused on and sure you're doing a little more coaching there. You're telling them, you know, make sure you bring your elbows back a little more and it's more repetitive. But I think those people get more out of it than the people who are, who are relying on the trainer to be creative and to be new. So yeah. it, it, it's easy to obsess um, about changing stuff up as uh, you know, and some, some people, you know, if, if, if the client, any form of strength training safely applied is better than none. So if the client, if the client is genuinely going to walk away because yeah. there's not enough variety. Okay. Look, my first port of call would be to, to re-educate, re-explain the reasoning behind the programming. Yeah. But then if still they're going to walk away, I would say a great trainer safely applying exercise is better than them walking out there and not doing that. So if there's an absolute imperative yep. for more variety, hmm. fine. But see if you can exhaust the more important principles first and educate the client about this stuff so that they're engaged in their process and they understand this process as well. I think if you would have started with that, this would have been the shortest podcast ever. way to get there. That was basically the sum of the entire podcast. <laughs> but, uh, well, that, again, I think that's a good stopping point. Uh, Simon, if, if people have more questions, comments, concerns, where's the best way to reach you? Um, well, the website, which we're, we're always putting uh, uh, quality uh, blog posts out on is hituni.com. Um, that, that's the best place to get in touch. Um, there's the contact forms on hituni.com as well. So you can get in touch via email through through doing that um and uh, just as last time eric it's been a real pleasure 
talking yep. to you. I really enjoy bouncing, bouncing the stuff we, we do uh, off each other. Likewise, this is a really pleasure. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people, I hope a lot of people take into consideration some of the stuff we talked about. So I, I appreciate it, Simon. We'll talk to you soon. Fantastic. Okay, bye for now. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor.